listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to the Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. We have three guests coming up in this hour. Tony Cole, Tony Cole and his wife, Linda Cole, author of Resurrecting... Anthony, A True Story of Courage and Destination. Tony and Linda were living the American dream, successful business, nice home, close-knit family and friends, and then came the call that every parent dreads. Uh, our second guest, Tom Conlon, New York Times bestselling author, The 1% Solution, How to Make the Next 30 Days Your Best Ever. He'll explain why the exact same skills and actions that create Olympic gold medal winners are what create exceptional relationships the most memorable experiences, and the ecstasy that only can be found in love. And last, we have Dr. Paul Orsett. He's chief of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Children's Hospital in Philadelphia, professor of medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, and author of Deadly Choices, How the Anti-Vaccine Movement Threatens Us All. But first, Tony Cole, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. Yeah, it's great to be here, Catherine. Thanks for having me. I feel like I'm in, in some really, really good company. I don't know how I managed to squeeze in. You <laughs> well, you're the best. I've got the three best on this today. So, uh, perfect. Uh, but you have quite a story, and uh, that's what we're here about. Your story, Linda's story, your son's story. Um, so, talk to us, obviously, about the reason that you wrote the book and uh, and about your son. Okay. The, uh, uh, the, the 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 oh wow. The reason we wrote the book. Uh, you know, it, 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 part of it was from a, a business perspective. We, we knew that we're, we're in a business uh, of, of consulting and training and keynotes and things like that. And for years, we've been told that if you really wanted to break into that space, you needed to have a book that was inside you. And, and we didn't have one that was inside us. But certainly, uh, as a result of, uh, of our son's um, cardiac arrest, uh, our lives changed. Uh, it made us rethink uh, almost everything that we were doing and uh, and. and the end result, a blessing, if you will, uh, a great story uh, needed to be told, and and so that was the book inside. And, and All right, let's, and let's talk about that story because, okay. as you say, you were going to write a book. It had to be a story that was inside both of you. Of course, this this is certainly a story that's inside both of you and who you are. But what happened to Anthony? What uh, he was twelve years old, uh, healthy, yeah. um, playing yeah. sports. Uh, then what happened? Uh, September 8th, 1998, we get a call from the uh, high school telling us uh, Anthony is being uh, airlifted to Children's Hospital. And uh, so we know nothing about why, or, uh, and so we just obviously beat it down to the Children's Hospital. And um, and when we get there, we're met by a couple of pastors, and they rush us into a room, and 
start asking us about religious affiliation, so that, that gets our attention. And then we go to the emergency room, and we see our son being wheeled into a gurney, uh, you know, obviously in shock, eyes rolled back in his head, in his head uh, unintelligible noises, arms flailing, and, uh, and off he goes. And it's, uh, I don't know how many hours later, uh, we find out that he had, uh, he had collapsed on the playground, a cause unknown at this point in time, and uh, he was in a coma. Uh, he had suffered uh, severe a brain injury. Oh, we didn't know how severe at the time, but uh, uh, the detective came by and the EMs came by, came by and told us that he probably went seven to ten minutes without oxygen. And so he was likely in a coma and had some brain injury, and then they weren't sure what the outcome was going to be. So, so uh, that was the news for the day. In a coma. You don't exactly know what's wrong with him, but then you find out later, Tony, that he had a heart attack, brain injury because of lack of oxygen to the brain. Um, how long was Tony, how long was he in a, a coma? Well, there are various stages of coma, and the one that most of us are familiar with is a Hollywood version where they're completely out, and then they wake up magically and ask for a hamburger. Yeah. And um, that, that didn't happen with Anthony. Um, he was in a deep, deep coma uh, for you know, at least a half a year. Uh, you know, a, a year later, uh, he was uh, he was uh, uh, semi-aware. Eyes were open, um, but um, no speech yet or anything. And, and uh, so, we brought him home after 91 days of being in a hospital. And I can tell you, Catherine, that there was still uh, a total lack of understanding or awareness of who we were, where he was, what had happened. Uh, no skills, uh, mental, verbal, physical, uh, at all. So um, it, it was quite an ordeal for quite some time. So when you say, I mean, 91 days, you bring your son home and you're still in the dark about what happened, what to do, um, but emotionally, what was your reaction? I mean, here you are, as I described in the beginning, you're, you, you know, the, and I don't want to say average, I don't think anybody's really average, but we will say that, the average American family, you, you know, you've got everything going for you, and then suddenly it's kind of like before and after. Yeah, the uh, the emotions were just, as any parent could probably imagine, um, Twisted, torn, and confused. You know, it, uh, there, there were still uh, vast moments of time where it was total denial. You know, the the, the stages of, of dealing with loss. Uh, you know, I just um, we refused. I refused to believe that this was going to be the ultimate outcome. You know, I just kind of viewed it as, okay, we can get past this. Uh, there are indications that the brain injury wasn't that severe. It's just a matter of, matter of time for this thing to begin to heal and, and for him to be right and, and regain consciousness. And uh, so you take the, the, the confusion and the, and the, uh, the denial tied with the, the, the emotion of loss, that the, here's my son who, again, would run to the door every day I came home and give me a big hug and let's go play Nintendo Dad who lays in a hospital bed in my house totally unresponsive and, 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 and no hope uh, that, that that would ever change. It was you know, you said something, Tony, that made me think that you and your wife had a different reaction because you said here you, when you brought Tony home, it was like, okay, he is in a coma, he, uh, but uh, your expectation was he's going to get better, he's going to go back to the way he was before. But it, all, but it sounds like, did Linda feel the same way? And then how did that affect your relationship? Uh, we, we, we arrived at the conclusion that it wasn't going to be uh, business as usual uh, at different times. And, uh, and to your point, uh, I, I don't know if Linda had come to that realization already. Uh, we're both uh, A-type personalities, both fighters, 
both trying to figure out how to solve problems. And so we were still in the midst of trying to find solutions to the problem and, and, and get him better. Uh, she probably at that time had a better clue uh, or allowed herself to be more aware of the fact that, you know, this could be long-term. This, this, this could be Anthony for the rest of his life. And I just refused to accept that. You know, just um, I, I plead ir- uh, ignorance and arrogance uh, on my part to just refuse that this would be the end game. So no, we were both there, and, it, and, and at that time, after 90 days, it, it, it didn't create problems for us as a family, but as I continued to hold on to my hope and dream and thought that he would be better, then the problems began to manifest themselves. So what were the problems? What began to happen? What, what was the realization like that, that suddenly uh, this isn't working? I mean, I, I'm holding on to something that really isn't going to exist. My son is never going to be the way he was before. Uh, you know, I continued, uh, I, went, I went from uh, disbelief, denial, to uh, 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 anger. And, uh, and uh, having a history of being a, co- a collegiate coach and a collegiate athlete, my response to almost any problem was, I'll just work harder. And uh, Anthony was an, a, a young athlete who responded very well to, let's work harder. And so that was my approach, and uh, Linda uh, began to uh, be, uh, you know, the the, nur- the more nurturing approach with Anthony, and so whenever we would interact and do rehab and, and attempt to do things with Anthony, we had entirely different approaches, and and um, uh, mine clearly uh, was creating a problem uh, with Anthony and I, and uh, in, in in the book Resurrecting Anthony, there's a point where it all comes to to a point where it's just uh, it's a disaster. Um, you know, as a social she, worker, I, and, and as a social worker, I'm real interested, in, and I'd like you to share this with the audience, because as you say, you're going through rehab. I'm, we're assuming that there are a lot of uh, medical staff and uh, uh, involved in Tony's care. Um, what kind of help did they give you? If they, I mean, emotionally, um, you know, in terms of support for you, for Linda, for Tony, uh, did were you connected to them? How did? Because I know a lot of people. Uh, perhaps don't have the exact same situation as with Tony, but all of you know it's the whole medical reaction to you and your family. How did they respond? Well, it was really interesting is that when we brought Anthony home, they wouldn't let us bring Anthony home until we had our nursing staff in place, and so we started uh, building a, a nursing team, and uh, we were very blessed to have uh, some nurses that uh, were not just uh, caregivers for Anthony and his uh, nursing and medical needs. Uh, but they were uh, healers for Linda and I. They managed to bring uh, a humor to the family and, and uh, uh, counselorships, if you will. They gave us somebody to talk to. And, uh, and, and for the first five or six, seven years, we, we had a staff of nurses that were just awesome at, at helping us keep our family together. Um, and, and, and it's one of those things you just, you just don't expect. You expect a nurse to come and do their job and turn around and leave. But they became part of our family, part of our DNA got a younger daughter who was left alone and, and and Don one of her nurses became her new big brother and and, and uh, uh, magically uh, things we found reasons to laugh and, and 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 hang in there together as a family you know so the, the response from what we got from support people was just unbelievable just so people are listening and they're going to say well here's the, you're, you 
had a lot of support. You had a, a huge staff, or it sounds like it, or a significant amount of people who were there to help you and support you. What about the cost? How did that impact on your family? I mean, the practical stuff that happens, uh, you know, having to, first of all, have people in your house. Is the house big enough? Is the, you know, the, the cost of having the staff there? Talk to us about that. Okay, uh, the uh, the house wasn't big enough. It was a nice size home. Don't get me wrong, but Anthony, we had to import a hospital bed. We had to change the dining room into a rehab room, and we had to negotiate trying to figure out how to get Anthony up and downstairs to get him bathed and cleaned and all that kind of stuff. And that didn't work. So eventually, probably two and a half years later, uh, we we purchased a new house. Uh, and this is a whole different story. We could take a whole other radio show about the <laughs> blessing of this, where it had an elevator in it, you know, and a, and a roll-in shower for somebody in a wheelchair. Uh, but the cost, uh, the state of Ohio has a wonderful uh, program called Medicaid waiver uh, for situations just like this where there is a severe medical need for the patient. And so uh, most, uh, if not all, of the cost uh, for his home care uh, is provided through uh, the Medicaid waiver program. And I believe Linda mentions that in the back of the book. There's a whole list of resources there. Uh, the, the only problem we had was uh, our insurance carry, which I'm sure is, a, is an old story to maybe some of your listeners, where... You know, they uh, they collect their premiums and then don't want to pay when it's time to pay. And so we had to go to uh, file a lawsuit to get that taken care of. But uh, So we've been well, blessed with that. Now I'm, you have your, your son home, you have the care, you have, I mean, you have, fortunately, I guess living in the state of Ohio, you had this advantage to this the, the Medicaid. But did you ever at some point, and I'm listening to your story, and then you had a lawsuit that you had to go through to get insurance coverage. I mean, Tony, did you ever feel like so exasperated or so overwhelmed that it was like you felt like walking away from the whole thing? Never. Never? No. Now, there were times when I'm sure Linda wanted to push me out, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, we, uh, we it's kind of interesting. This, this type of discussion has come up a lot since the book has been released about, okay, so, Tony, how did you deal with this? Because in many, many cases, the husbands uh, pack up and leave. And um, my response 100% of the time has been, it never crossed my mind. And it never crossed my mind because when Lynn and I got married, you know, I, I, I told her, I kind of tell people this jokingly, she asked me to marry her, and so I agreed to. And I said, understand that divorce is never going to be an option. I don't care what happens. I've been there before, done that. I'm not going to do it again. So it never crossed my mind, you know. And that's not to say we didn't have moments where it was like, oh, baby, let's, you know. But, but if that's not an option, then you have to turn to each other and figure out, okay, so now what do we do? Yeah. Uh, okay, so maybe I'll ask the question in a different way. There was no, you, you, you weren't going to walk away from this. You no. weren't going to walk away from Linda, your son, your family. But I think that a lot of people, when they are overcome with a crisis like this, feel not that they necessarily want to walk away, but why me? How, how you know, like no. wanting to go back, you know, that moment in time when you just would like to go back before everything, before it all happened? And. I wonder if, if any of those kinds of feelings ever dominated how you were feeling, why you were going through this whole process. Well, uh, again, this is going to sound like I'm, I'm some guy who's got it all figured out. I promise you there were many nights where I walked our dog down the street and just bawled my eyes out. And, and there are many times where I drove past a convenience store and all I wanted to do was stop and get a six-pack and, and drink my sorrows away before I got home, but I knew that that would be a bad deal. So I, I, I went through torturous moments of just grief and, and, and um, fear and anger. Uh, but what, what got me through it all was just my faith. And I never asked myself the question, why? You know, I just felt like, well, that, you, know, that's our, you know, ours is not to do or die, but, you know, just march ahead. 
Um, and, and so I, I've always asked myself the question, okay, so now what? And with the, uh, with the release of the book and uh, our desire to send our message out to thousands of people if we can, that, that question now gets answered. Uh, given Anthony's condition today, he has severe limitations. And when we get back, we're going to take a short break now. Okay, when, sure. I get, when we get back, I do want to. That's I want to get into that. You know, where are you today? What are you doing? And how is Anthony doing? We um, uh, talking to uh, Tony Cole. He's the co-author with his wife Linda Cole of Resurrecting Anthony: A True Story of Courage and Destination. Uh, we'll be back in a minute. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time, the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com, World Talk Radio. And if you're just joining us this morning, my guest is Tony Cole. He's author of Resurrecting Anthony, A True Story of Courage and Destination, a book he wrote with his wife. Uh, their 12-year-old son, Anthony, collapsed on the school playground. Um, he was unconscious. He wasn't breathing. Uh, he during these critical minutes without oxygen, he was left brain damaged, and this is their story, their family story. So, Tony, um, let's talk about now what's happening with the family, what you're doing, uh, how Tony's doing, uh, because a lot of things have obviously occurred in the past, what, 10, almost 10 years since the, um, it wasn't an accident, but since uh, Tony collapsed. It's been uh, it's been 12 years, and uh, you're certainly right. A lot has happened. Uh, his um, after about 18 months, he started to gain some uh, uh, vocal skills, and uh, so he can he he, he can talk um, a, a very um, slow, deliberate speech pattern. 
Uh, he is, is virtually incapable of controlling anything in his environment. Uh, he's got memories of, of events prior to his heart attack, his cardiac arrest, um, but very short, limited short-term uh, memory other than music. <laughs> he loves <laughs> country music, and he remembers all the words after two or three listings to, to the songs. It's, it's amazing. And he does karaoke on once a month on Saturday. And he's horrible, but you know he loves it. But uh, uh, the family, as as we have managed to uh, uh, survive, uh-huh. and I would say uh, have, we have begun the trend of uh, attempting to thrive. I don't know that we ever triumph over something like this. And so the the business uh, recovered. Our family has recovered. We live here in Cincinnati. He uh, attends um, uh, a Goodwill program three days a week uh, here locally, and, and it's an activity recreational type program, so that keeps him active. He uh, he has a, a guy who was his teacher's aide at school, Sycamore High School, who continues to work out with him, provides some therapy once a week. And our daughter is a sophomore at the University of Dayton, and Linda continues to work on books. And I think the readers, especially uh, I, I, especially women, I think will 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 find Linda as the true heroine in the story. As much as you know, she wrote this book through my eyes and and, and tried to make it sound like you know I, I I kind of figured it out. She's the one who's had it figured out all along. It just I'm still behind. You know, but I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to get there. But she well, aren't men are always behind, but they yeah, eventually catch up. Or yeah, sometimes yeah, they do, sometimes they don't. Right. But, you know, it's a, it's a great point when, when our booksellers ask us why they should pitch this book um, to the large chains. You know, one of the reasons I gave them is so the husbands realize that probably the most important and the brightest person in the world is the person they said I do to. You know, and, and uh, you know, I, I've known that all along, but going through an event like this certainly helps you figure out, you know, who's got it figured out and who's just trying to hold on. And, um, and I'm hoping dads will become better dads and, and better fathers and understand that the failure is not an option. You know, so uh, so our, our approach now and what we want to accomplish next, Catherine, is to uh, uh, take our gig, so to speak, on the road and uh, and, and, and tell our story so that we can inspire uh, and, quote-unquote, uh, save families and help them see that there's a way to get through times like this. Uh, it won't be easy. Uh, answers aren't around every corner. You're going to have to fight for every inch that you can get. And uh, Anthony himself is just a great inspiration. He's, he's got a great attitude. You know, Catherine, if, you, if you're online with us and you ask him how he was doing, he would tell you every day he's doing great. Uh, good, wonderful, and as I described, when he's feeling European, he tells you that he's doing Bundavar. <laughs> but did Anthony ever get frustrated with himself? I mean, you know, there, I know that there are so many frustrations, um, you know, in terms of... Uh, I mean, you have a great story, and you certainly, I mean, Tony, you're an inspiration to so many people. But people also want to hear, um, you know, some of the tough stuff that you've had to go through, too. Because, I mean, it sounds like Tony has a great, Anthony has a great attitude, but there have to be some times when, what are the things that you have to get over? I mean, when the frustrations, because people, you know, listeners are saying, yeah, well, that sounds great, but, you know, I'm going through a similar things, but I get so frustrated and I don't know what to do and I'm disappointed myself or my spouse or, um, you know, in this case, if it's my child. So any, yeah. do you have any kind of, I don't want to yeah. say, yeah, yeah I, tips I, I, for getting I, through those times? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. And, and, and I, I think there's two things, I, I think there's two things I can share that will help people get through. And one is to focus on the end game, you know, and, and, and define what that is, all right? And, and uh, 
early on, and again, I don't want to give the whole book away, but early on we went through uh, a, a situation with, with Anthony where we just said, heck with it. And we bundled him up, we took him outside, and, and we played in the snow. And, this is, and again, he's completely dependent. He can't move his arms or legs, but we go do this, gets this big, giant smile on his face. We get him back in the house, and Lynn and I look at each other, and we decide right there that you know, we're going to make his life as normal as we can possibly make it, no matter what happens. And so, boom, there's the end game. And then the second thing that has to happen, unfortunately, is you've got you to get, get yourself to the abyss. You know, and that's what happened to me. Uh, we, we had an event going on. I was trying to work with Anthony, doing some rehab stuff. He had been performing and uh, felt like we were making progress for this one day. He just just wasn't responding. And, and uh, it, it, for Catherine, it was awful. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I yelled, I, I berated him, I mistreated him, and, and he started to bawl. I mean, I don't mean just kind of cry, but just sob. And then he looks at me in his broken speech pattern and says, Dad, why do you hate me? You know, and, um, you know, Catherine, when you get there, you realize that something better change. So that's what it takes. you got to know what the end game is, get yourself to the abyss, and then decide, you know, the track that you're on isn't worth it. You know, you gotta, you got to change your direction. Yeah. I think, I mean, you just said it, and I think so many people go through just what you described. I mean, the, like you said, the ultimate, the abyss, the ultimate doing, and, and, and then you go up from there. Um, or you get better from there, as you say, and keep in, in the end game. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what Linda's doing um, in terms of you. She's you're, you've created this. It's called each, or she's created. I don't know whether both of you have done it together or not. Each personal courage book. Uh, what is that? Well, we're, we're um, having gone through this and heard several stories. Um, she came up with the idea of creating a personal courage series of books, and uh, you know where we would we want to hear stories of people that are going through various. Uh, we, we want to start with um, some very specific type of situations. So we've got a, a woman who works for us who lost her husband a year ago. So you know uh, we want to have a series called the widower's uh, courage, and uh, our daughter had some difficult teenage years, and so teenage courage. And so we want to take some very specific uh, events, so to speak, so to speak, that happen with people, and collect stories around those, and compile those, and put those in a book, so that people that are that, that are widowers, uh, that are single moms, that are teenagers, and, and all the different things that happen to us, you know, they can they can they have a resource they can go to and, and gain some inspiration, as well as at the end of each book, you know, we want to have a a toolbox, so to speak, of resources they can go to to continue to get help and reach out and, and, and help them get through difficult situations in their life. And, uh, you know, uh, again, because our book launch just happened last week at Joseph Beth Bookstore, uh, this part of our, 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 our business model, business plan, has just started, but uh, we're, we're eager to get that started. So if any listeners have some great stories, they can go to our website, resurrectinganthony.com, and, and start to submit stories, and we'll put a book together. That so all of this will be you're going to have a, you have a well I, I wanted to mention that because the website's important Resurrect, resurrecting Anthony go yep. to, yeah to get information about you about what you're doing um, so all of these stories you're going to have access to on the internet these courage stories personal courage stories well the idea is to uh, have people submit those stories and then create a book okay called again teenage courage or 
uh, the Widow's uh, Courage book, and and uh, and we will probably post some of those online as we put the book together and eventually publish another book and and, and put that out in the marketplace. Uh, Linda's the the brains behind that operation. <laughs> I go, I can handle the to get on the radio and talk with you today and and, and get ready for my three o'clock this afternoon. But, yeah, well, you do the fun stuff. Yeah, I'm uh, a pretty face on the company. Yeah, uh, can I ask the what are the, we have a minute left? I got one more question. Where do you guys get all the energy to do this? I mean, you are this incredible family. Uh, we we exercise a lot, you know, and we eat well, we sleep well. And we have fun, you know, and at the end of the day, you know, uh, you've you got a couple choices. You can fold up your tent and go home, or you decide to enjoy life. And, and, and uh, you know, our motivation is to provide this great life for Anthony. Anthony was destined to have a great life, and this cardiac arrest should not deny him that great life. Well, it certainly didn't. You, the, you know, I, uh, I'm looking forward, first of all, to all that your new, all these new endeavors. I mean, you guys are amazing. But uh, we have to say goodbye. So I want to, you know, tell listeners the, uh, or just that the name of the book is Resurrecting Anthony: A True Story of Courage and Destination. And you can go to the website resurrectinganthony.com for more information about what uh, Tony and Linda are doing, and they are always doing. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Thank you. We'll be back in a minute. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Don't go away. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me is Tom Conlon, New York Times best-selling author. His book is The 1% Solution, How to Make the Next 30 Days Your Best Ever. 
He's going to talk to us about why the exact same skills and actions that create Olympic gold medal winners are what create exceptional relationships, the most memorable experiences, and the ecstasy that can only be found in love. Uh, Tom is a highly sought-after, and I'm not surprised, keynote speaker, whose clients include FedEx, the Marriott, Neiman Marcus, um, and he has been labeled by Power Magazine as one of seven tough-talking and truth-telling keynote speakers because he always delivers actionable ideas. That's really true if you read his book. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Tom. It's great to be on. Yeah, the 1% solution. I like it. I like your book because you're talking about how we can become successful, accomplish what we want. Uh, and we're, today we're going to talk about relationships because Valentine's Day is coming up. Um, although I'm not a big, really, uh, celebrator of Valentine's Day, I have to tell you. But um, <laughs> well, I think uh, we're going to talk about how your book works and the 1% solution, how we can become successful at our relationships. So uh, what is the 1% solution for work and life? Well, the 1% solution, here's the concept in a nutshell. I've been looking at high performers for a number of years, and in 2006 I was looking at the men's downhill Winter Olympics in Torino, and I found the difference between the gold medal winner and fourth place, so gold medal, no medal, was 1.08 seconds or 0.9%. And every event I looked at and finally gave up looking, it averaged just a shade under 1%. So the question for you and me and the people listening every day who are probably not going to ever be Olympians is what does that mean for us? What it means is for a company that a company can almost virtually impossible for them to be 100% better than all the other competitors they have in the marketplace. But it's very possible for them to be 1% better in hundreds of things. And therein lies the key to differentiation. When you look at it in terms of relationships, it's the same thing Olympians have to think about. They know that their event rolls around every four years. And being an Olympian is no more about an event, doing 100% on an event every four years, than it is about Valentine's Day being 100% one day a year. You're much better off if you want to build a strong relationship, a sustainable relationship, and demonstrate that you really care about somebody, it's about doing all the little things all the other 364 days a year. Yeah, I think obviously, and and what happens is we we kind of earmark these holidays like Valentine's Day and people are running around trying to buy candy or take your wife on a trip or some buy a diamond or whatever it is. And what does that mean if the rest of the year, the 364 days a year, you're not even, you don't attend to your relationship? Is that what you're saying? I mean, we have to do the little things every single day, but what are those little things? What should we be doing? Well, you, you know who knows better than you or me? Who? And, and that is that person's spouse or significant other or partner. Uh, ask them. Ask them. Because if, 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 for example, if you were my spouse or significant other, who has a better idea of what would be important to you, you or me? And I would submit to you that you know. And so if I were to say, Catherine, you know, I, I love you so much, you're so important to me, and, and with Valentine's Day coming up, I'm going to get you some chocolate because I know you like chocolate. But, but what I really want to do is do something, whatever it is, every day that would be important to you. Can you give me one, two, three, five things that I can start working on? Yeah, I mean, I always, I think you're so on target because I see this happening so much with relationships, especially as a social worker who's done a lot of counseling and stuff. You see these people, I mean, I can, I always say to my partner, and I've been with the same partner for over 20 years, I say to him, you know, I mean, 
I can order chocolates myself online. I don't really, it's, <laughs> I can order flowers. I mean, it's not really a big deal. Uh, so what you're saying, every single day, attending to, you know, the relationship is what is really important. And the part that I like best about your book is that it's, like you say, ask your partner, um, what can I do to help you today, at least once a day? That's easy. It, it's easy and it's important. Yeah. It, it occurs every day, it demonstrates every day that I care about that individual. Yeah. And I want to take the other thing. One of the things you say, you know, pick one thing that your partner, partner wants you to change and stick with that change for 30 days. And it doesn't have to be some huge thing. Why do we always get into the, the like, if he wants me to change, that means he wants me to change my entire personality. I am who I am. I have to do what I want to do. You're not talking about that. We're talking about something, you know, just give us an example. Some small little thing can make a huge difference that maybe he or she doesn't like about you. You can change it. Sure. It, it, it could be as small as uh, giving them five minutes when they come home from work. It could be as small as, uh, as you uh, say, for example, the toilet my, my, seat down. Pardon? Put the toilet putting seat the down. Toilet seat Stop down. picking your nose. Yeah. Um, my, my wife and I alternate. Uh, she cooks one week and I clean up. The next week I cook and she cleans up. But sometimes we're really, one of the other of us is really busy with something. And the other one just goes in and does both things. That's a small thing, but it's, but it's a big thing. Relationships, in my experience, and I'm, I'm certainly not a social worker, but just watching what goes on, relationships falling apart are almost always more about the mosquito bites than they are about the elephant bites. I think that is very true. And those mosquito bites, unfortunately, the mosquito bites add up into one big allergic relax, reaction. That's the problem, right? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, so the little things, any illicit, you want to improve your relationship, you know, this is the 1% solution just each day. We've mentioned two things. Ask your partner, what do they want? One simple thing, and uh, that's easy to do. Pick one thing that you can change. I think that's a big one, and it's, it's, but it, it, it's easy to do. Um, one of the things that you mentioned, which I don't do well at all, I really am not good at this, apologize more often. I hate to apologize. I might change my ways if I get it. Well, if I get it, and not necessarily if I get attacked, but if I get, if we discuss something that my partner doesn't like, but I don't like to apologize. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I think we're twins. Um, <laughs> it's it's uh, yeah, one of the things that, that I tell people is, you know, around this time of year, practice it. Yeah. Say, I'm sorry, you're absolutely right, I'm absolutely wrong. You know, four or five times a day. So you get used to saying it. So when the occasion comes up where it's appropriate for you to say that, you can say that. Uh, and it's we, we, all, we all, all like to be right, uh, at least most of the world. But it's an important thing to say. Uh, we, we find, for example, in, in customer relationships, one of the things people want most from a company when something goes wrong is they want somebody to say, I'm, so, I'm sorry this happened to you. It costs nothing, it takes no time, and it happens less than 50% of the time. I suspect that that same percentage, probably even less, goes on in personal relationships, and yet it's one of the real marks of strengthening it. So, you know, I, I screwed up on this, now I'm going to unscrew it. Yeah, that's very effective, you're right. And when you do put it into the context of business, uh, you know, when I've got a complaint and I'm calling about something, calling a company, and I keep going on and on, and no one will just say, you know, we're sorry. Once, If they do say that, it just sets me back, and I'm like, okay. And my anger dissipates. So you're saying it works with couples. I mean, you don't want to always be saying you're sorry. Uh, then there's 
Maybe well, you, you better else. look at yourself pretty carefully if you're always saying, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's right. Don't mess up my problem. But it's, so. uh, it, it, it's a very important thing. And, and uh, we know, for example, if you say, not I apologize, because people hear, you know, you want to apologize, and they think saying, I apologize is apologizing. Uh, and it's not just, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to take action to correct the situation is, in fact, a more effective apology. But people who get that, in the, like you mentioned, with a company that calls, where you, where you call them, and when that happens, you actually end up being a more loyal customer than somebody who's never had a problem. So I would submit that in a personal relationship, saying, uh, Catherine, I'm so sorry, I completely forgot, I completely blew it, uh, let me fix it, I'll have it fixed within two hours, whatever it is, actually probably strengthens our relationship more than if we never had an issue around that at all. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's, uh, that's probably the one I have to work on the most personally. Because uh, you've got a lot of uh, different, uh, a lot of advice here that I think really works. Um, one of the Can things I go back get for out... one second? Yeah. You're going you're gonna to work on apologizing more often. Uh, are you going to take that first step right away today? And apologize? Well, I haven't done anything that I should apologize for. <laughs> I, I know, but, but next time it comes up, are you going to take that step? I will take that step. I'm, I cannot forget this. I will the next, okay. and it will come up. Will you email me when you take that first step? I will email you. I will tell you I apologize. <laughs> what happens though here now? You pay. You could be the. We'll, we'll reverse roles. Sometimes when I apologize, which isn't often, my partner will keep on going because, and I say, you know, okay, I apologize. Now, what do you want me to do? I can't yeah, do anymore. I, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, think, I think you just say, wait, I, I apologized, and I, I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to fix whatever it was, it was uh, the upset. Maybe there's something else going on here underneath this that we should talk about. What would you say about that? And, and then that right. might bring up something else. Yeah, I, I think you're right, because if, if it keeps going, then, then there is. There's some underlying stuff in the relationship perhaps that isn't working and maybe you have to examine that more carefully. Right. Are we finished with apologies? Can we go on to the next one? Yeah. I, I just didn't want to let you off the hook that easy. I know. <laughs> now I have to email you the next time I apologize. That's a deal. Okay. Get out of the way and give her space. What do we? What do you mean by that? Um, the There are times when the best cure is just letting somebody have their space to do whatever it is. I, I did something, uh, this was last week, uh, my wife had cooked something, uh, it was going to be some chicken for dinner, and then there was going to be a stew, and some of the meat was in the bottom of the pan. I thought it was all just dishwater or something. I poured it out. She was uh, uh, angry about it. She was upset. And so I just... Let her be for about 15 minutes. You know, I said, I'm sorry. And, and, and then she said, you know, I was really angry. I said, yeah, I understand. I would be too. Uh, I, I, I screwed up. You screwed up. We all screwed up. And, uh, and everything was fine. She just needed that space to kind of collect her thoughts and, and cool down. And, and I yeah. think that sometimes we, 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 we can't just keep insisting and we've got to talk about it right now. Sometimes just a little cooling off period. Time out, as we say to the kids, uh, is very helpful. Yeah, and I think that's a big one. Uh, that's why I brought it up because I think that couples get into that. Then, uh, just the example that you gave, we're all kind of like these. Maybe I don't know. It's 
a cultural thing, but these alpha males and alpha females, and we have to solve the problem right now, and we have to, well, we don't have to. You know, in social work terms, we call that, you know, you're saying get out of the way and give her space or give him space. Leave the playing field. You can leave, you know, if you leave the playing field, there's no game. The game's over, at least for the moment. So you don't really have to. quarter is over. Yeah, that's over, and that's okay. Then you get back to it which is what you're saying, and the whole emotional toxicity is gone, and you can discuss what happened or not. But um, it's, we, I think as couples sometimes tend to feel compelled, I know I do, oh, we have to resolve this right now, and you don't. And the truth of the matter is it's the same in business. I, I, I counsel clients, look, if, if, if the conversation is going badly and everybody's getting a little hot under the collar, you, you both know it. You just say, look, we're both a little hot under the collar right now, uh, I know that sales have dropped. We need to talk about it. Or I know that you're upset that I did this. We need to talk about that. And I apologize. I'm, I, I'm sorry it happened. But how about if we just take a little break and we'll come back and talk about it when we both had a little cool down time? How, how does that sound? Yeah. And that you can bring it back up then. Yeah, I think it sounds great. There are so many more in your book. We have to say goodbye because we just had a short time to talk. But uh, so. Uh, I mean, we only covered a few of these tips that you gave us, but I think they're great. The 1% Solution for Work and Life, Tom Conlon, New York Times bestselling author. You can go online. Do you have a uh, website we can go to or listeners can well, go to? Well, uh, TomConnellan.com, or you, if you want to look at the first chapter, if you want to test drive the book, go to MyFreeChapter.com, and you can download the first chapter and see if it's a book for you. Great. Tom Conlon, thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Thanks. I enjoyed every minute. Yeah, lots of great tips. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com, World Talk Radio. We'll be back in a minute. Don't go away. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. 
We're back. I'm Catherine Sox, your social worker with a microphone on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. You are listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Uh, and my guest this morning is Dr. Paul Offit, measles, mumps, bacterial meningitis, whooping cough, which is called pertussis. Vaccines had virtually eliminated these and other diseases, but now as more and more parents choose not to vaccinate their children, once preventable diseases are returning. Um, this morning we are talking to renowned researcher, professor of medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, chief of the Division of Infectious Diseases, Dr. Paul Offit, and his new book, Deadly Choices, How the Anti-Vaccine Movement Threatens Us All. Welcome to the show, doctor. Thank you. So I've noticed that, you know, my kids are grown up. I have three boys, so I vaccinated or they were vaccinated, all of them. So, uh, but now I have noticed, obviously, in the news, this is very controversial. Get your kids vaccinated. Don't get them vaccinated. How did this all come about? Why are we not vaccinating our children? Well, it's certainly not a scientific controversy, but you're right. It's certainly a, a cultural controversy. I, I guess I argue in the book that the the American modern American anti-vaccine movement was born on a specific day. It was April 19, 1982, with a, a show that was called DPT, Vaccine Roulette, that claimed that the, the whooping cough vaccine caused permanent brain damage. And I think it gave birth to, to an industry that, that the, notion, the notion that, uh, that vaccines were doing more harm than good, it led to a lot of lawsuits, it caused a lot of pharmaceutical companies to stop making vaccines, and I think gave birth to the notion that vaccines were doing harm, and uh, it's been very hard to unscare people. So how dangerous is it? I mean, you're saying these deadly choices, not vaccinating our kids. Talk to us about numbers, statistics. What are we doing by not vaccinating our children? I think, and I think if we went from like 98% immunization rates to 93% immunization rates, we wouldn't be having this discussion. But what's happened now is we're past the tipping point. We had a measles epidemic in 2008 in the United States that was bigger than anything we've had in more than a decade. We've had mumps epidemics in the Midwest and now in New York uh, and New Jersey that have involved thousands of people leaving several deaths. We've had uh, outbreaks of a particular kind of bacterial meningitis called Hib, which is perfectly preventable by vaccination. That caused one death in Minnesota, three in Philadelphia. And now we have a whooping cough epidemic in California that's bigger than anything we've seen since 1947. That's more than 50 years ago, and, and uh, 10 children have died, all needlessly. So how do we change this trend? I mean, I have an idea, and I, and I really would like you to respond to this, because I'm not sure. You say that it, you know, the first 1982 uh, was when this all began, and then it just kind of took off. You know, the, D, the DPT shots caused uh, convulsions or whatever, and... and uh, We've been going downhill since in terms of not getting our kids vaccinated. But I think another piece to this, as I was thinking about this, is that we have been, and I know as a parent and also just as an adult myself in terms of the medical care that I get, we are so bombarded all the time, the pharmaceutical companies, with being drugged. Even my physicians, I, I, I hate to say it, but they want to drug me, you know, even when I feel like I don't need the medication, so that now what begins to happen is people are like, well, then I'm not going to, take any medications. You know, it's kind of a reaction to an over-medicated society. Can you address that? I couldn't agree more. I think that, that, um, that pharmaceutical companies uh, have convinced us that everything re requires a, a drug. I mean, there's a book called The Death of Sadness, which talks about how 
there is there's there are no moods anymore. Everything's an affective disorder that requires treatment. I, I agree. Unfortunately, that has nothing to do with vaccines. But I think there's been a spillover to vaccines. This notion that that pharmaceutical companies are just pushing something on us that we don't need. That's not true. If we we should learn from history. When you when you start to lessen immunization rates, these diseases come back. And and we've already started to see it happen. Children are already starting to suffer and be hospitalized and die. It's unconscionable. And we've got to got to see this as a problem. That's why I wrote the book to try and sound the alarm. So what can we do as lay people? I mean, now this whole thing about, and I think maybe, you know, you've, uh, we haven't mentioned it, but, that you know, vaccines cause autism. I mean, I've seen that. I mean, and, and so you don't want to get your kids vaccinated because there's a chance they may become autistic. Yeah, you know, I think it's perfectly fine to raise the question. I, you know, from a parent standpoint, look, my child was fine. They got this vaccine, and then, then they started to develop these signs and symptoms of autism. Could the vaccine have done it? That's a reasonable question. Good news is it's a testable question. You can answer that in, in a scientific venue by looking at hundreds of thousands of children who did or didn't get that vaccine to see whether the, the incidence is greater in the vaccinated group. You know, those studies have been done again and again and again. I, I guess where it's frustrating for me or other people in uh, you know, scientists or academia or, or public health officials is that once the science is done, it's been hard to convince people that the science has, has exonerated vaccines. I guess it's, it's much easier to scare people than, than to unscare them. Yeah. If people have lived through, I don't know how old you are, but I, you know, I grew up in the era where we didn't have vaccines. And boy, we had the mumps, the measles, the chicken pox, and they were really bad. I mean, we got really, really sick. And, um, you know, I grew up in a, a two brothers. I, we, you know, it went through the family, um, but I think a, a lot of these young parents obviously haven't experienced or been through it. So, I mean, I've seen the effects of not being vaccinated or not having the ability to have your children get vaccines. Yeah, you and I are probably the same age. I mean, I had measles and mumps and German measles and chickenpox, and fortunately we survived. Not everybody did. But, you know, for parents, my parents, vaccines were, were an easy sell because they saw they saw what the diseases could do. Young mothers today not only don't see these diseases now because vaccines have been so successful, they didn't even grow up with these diseases. So for them, it becomes a matter of faith, faith in pharmaceutical companies, faith in the government, faith in, in, in physicians. And I think there's been an erosion, at least in that kind of faith. So how do, who do we believe? Because young parents are sitting there. Do I believe the advertisements on television where they are uh, advertising pharmaceuticals to lay people? You know, the six, from 6 o'clock on in the evening, all you see is all these drugs. You can't, and the average person maybe can't tell the difference between those kinds of drugs and vaccines. Um, so, you know, there has to be a differentiation between those two. Um, what, how do we get you know, I mean, your book obviously is, is, is a positive force in getting the word out, but what else can we do? You know, I agree. I think direct-to-consumer advertising is on balance had not been a good thing. You don't see many vaccines advertised, for the most part, because they're just not a very big product. I mean, they're something you take once or a few times in your lifetime. They're not like, you know, diabetes drugs or neurological drugs where you're taking them every day. So they're not big money makers for these companies. So, But I think, who do you believe? You know, when, when a vaccine is, is licensed, it's licensed by the Food and Drug Administration only when it's, it's found to, to be safe and effective. It's recommended by the, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the American Academy 
pediatrics when it's been shown to be safe and effective. And, and the people that make up those groups, and I've been on those advisory groups to the CDC, are people just like you and me. You know, they're, they're doctors and scientists and clinicians who care about the public's health. They care about their own children's health. And I can tell you, have being on those committees, you would never make a recommendation for those vaccines unless you would give it to your own children, and you give it to your own children. I think we have to find a way to personalize those groups like the CDC or AAP who are, who are sort of thought of as this distant monolithic bodies and therefore much easier to vilify. Yeah, I think that's true. And, I, and uh, another piece to this also is that what about the, I'm going to take the flu vaccine because um, as a layperson, you know, last year, get the flu vaccine or you're going to die was kind of the message that I saw. This year I haven't heard anything about it. You know, so I'm thinking, well, was that just a hoax and they wanted to sell the vaccine and they, you know, wanted to make money on this vaccine and this year it's something else, so now no one's saying too much about the flu vaccine? Well, I think last year what scared people was that, that we were in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, you know, you had a, a particular strain of virus that we hadn't seen in decades, and therefore a lot of people were susceptible. And it was, I, I think it was a little overhyped in that the CDC had prepared for the notion that as many as 90,000 U.S. citizens could die. That wasn't true. But 10,000 U.S. citizens died from that disease. 250,000 were hospital, and, and of the deaths, 1,100 were children. That's 10 times more than we typically see die during a seasonal flu campaign. So, it was a bad player of uh, the, the the so-called swine flu virus, and and the, the you know we had five children die in our hospital from small swine flu. None of those children were vaccinated, so so getting the vaccine was was the right thing to do. Unfortunately, although we made a lot of vaccine last year, we didn't really distribute it in an effective manner so that we could get it out there quickly enough, which I think was so hopefully something we'll learn from. Well, I, what does the media have to do with all this? Because we got a couple more minutes left, you know, and this is the media we're talking. We're talking about your book, by the way. Um, and I, I just want to mention the book, Deadly Choices, How the Anti-Vaccine Movement Threatens Us All. We can buy that at bookstores everywhere online. Um, and, and Dr. Offit, do, is there a website that we can go to, your website? or? Yeah, I don't have a website, but the, the, I think the publisher has a website on this book, which is www.deadlychoicesbook.com. But you can get the book off of Amazon or Barnes & Noble, and it's also available in bookstores. Okay, so let's leave it. What can the media do? What more? Because I think they confuse people. You know, everything becomes like you, you don't really know who to believe, and everybody's on the net watching television. You know, what are they responsible in terms of, of this kind of information? Yes, to some extent. I, th- I think what they tend to do is tell, uh, quote-unquote, a balanced story, which is to say they, they tell two sides of a story, even when, in this case, only one side is supported by the science. And I think it's not intellectually honest and certainly very confusing for for parents. I do think the media on this particular issue, say on the vaccines autism issue, has gotten much, much better at, at, at sticking to the science because I think they realized that, that uh, the hype from 10 years ago was just wrong, and now we know that the original study was, frankly, just fraudulent. Dr. Paul Offit, thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Uh, Deadly Choices, How the Anti-Vaccine Movement Threatens Us All. Um, lots of good information, accurate information. Have a great day. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Hope you've had a good morning. You've been listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. We'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.